2: Good morning. Is it time to short the VAX mandates? That's going to be one of our topics today along with the Federal Reserve. What's coming up? They're meeting next week. Does that mean we're about to see a 50 basis point rate hike or more before we get there? What about that expanding balance sheet? Are they about to start actually tapering that balance sheet even faster than expected? All that's coming up on the show this morning. Michael Lieblitz will be joining me here in just a few minutes to get through that. Uh, Lots of stuff to cover here, particularly over the last few days. Markets have been under a lot of pressure here. And yesterday, another sell-off. Markets are now fairly well deviated from their 50-day moving averages. Again, as we talked a little bit about yesterday. Uh, the SP now trading down below into three standard deviations below the 50-day moving average. I know, technical mumbo-jumbo, don't worry about it. All it means is that the markets are really oversold here. And we're likely going to see a bounce. And in fact, this morning, futures are pointing up a little bit higher this morning. Uh, NASDAQ looks to recover the fastest. As we addressed yesterday... Um, Again, if you go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, we have a a video out yesterday, our three minutes on markets and money. It's right there on the front page talking about oil prices because higher interest rates by the Fed is actually a negative for energy prices. And energy stocks are grossly overbought here. Technology is very oversold. Maybe time for rotation. So go by the website. Lots of stuff there to cover. But in the three minutes on markets and money specifically, we talk about that. So that's on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. So this idea about vax mandates, interesting, we're finally starting to see some thaw in these uh, vax mandates, uh, kind of shutdown rules, mask wearing, etc. You know, there's been a lot of contention, and of course, that has also impacted consumer confidence because, again, if I'm worried about going out into the world to shop, to do things, I'm not going to do it. That's bad for economic growth. And in fact, first quarter economic growth numbers are being revised down sharply, Um, As we continue through this whole kind of, uh, you know, COVID nightmare that we've been in for the last couple of years, this more dystopian type society we've been living in. So England yesterday said, that's it, we're done. No more mask mandates, no more vaccine passports. We're done with it. We're we're getting back to normal. We're going to go back to work. This is an important, uh, this is really an important change by a country and hopefully will kind of lead the way for the rest of the world to get past this and start treating the covid as just an endemic situation uh, just like we have with the annual flu right you get sick you get over it you move back on you go to work and it's time for us to grow up you know put our big boy pants on and get back to work doing things because that's what creates economic growth you know living in fear is never a good option for any country and it's time that we start moving past this england now making that move today so if that's the question Right. If that's the if that's the question here is that if we are going to be moving past these vax mandates rules, et cetera, is it time to start shorting the vax makers? And again, these companies are making as much as a thousand dollars a minute on vaccines, which is, you know, just pretty, pretty astonishing. But, you know, you say, well, yeah, this is probably a good idea. We're eventually going to get past this. We're going to get past the mandates. We're not going to need the vaccines as much. And, you know, we're going to get back to normal of just doing things. Um, and that's going to slow the demand ultimately for these vaccines that are coming out. And, but this has already been something in the works. You're too late. If you want to short vaccine makers now, you're too late. Um, the market picked up on this about two months ago, actually back in September, October is where uh, Moderna is an example of this actually peaked and has been selling off. And, and again, we're going to start to see this market picks up on this sooner rather than later. And, and what we're already seeing here is that we're already starting to move past these ideas of vaccine mandates. This is start. the whole premise is starting to slowly fall apart. We're starting to see a lot of walk back on, you know, previous recommendations, et cetera. The CDC out yesterday, uh, just a couple of days ago, saying, hey, Matt, cloth masks they don't really work so you know we're going to start to slowly see this walk back here that's already putting pressure on vaccine makers so be a little bit careful on this trade because it got oh, way overdone here previously as people were chasing these stocks on the way up they're now going through a big correctional process here so again this is one area of the market you want to be a little bit cautious of as we talked about yesterday energy also well overdone here uh likely going to start to see some pressure and energy as well in fact you know, when you have big deviations in performance like you have now between energy and the S&P 500, energy always reverts back to the S&P 500 on, on a return basis. So we're probably going to see a correction in energy stocks. We're probably going to see more pressure on vaccine makers uh, specifically as, again, we kind of return back to a, a normal world here and start getting back to work and doing things. Now, that the good news about that is that is actually good for economic growth that will start to restore consumer confidence which just printed a new low one of the lowest levels since 2014 on consumer confidence and again that's something that's very important to the overall global economy we have to get people back to work they have to go back to earning a paycheck they've got to get back to seeing friends and family and all these type of things that's what makes the economy work and we need to get more of that going. So again, watch consumer confidence here because that's one big drag on the overall market and the economy right now is that, and this is why you're seeing first quarter GDP growth being revised down sharply here. Fourth quarter came in about 50% of what was originally expected. And that's really been the base case over the last year is that we had really high hopes of exponential growth in the economy just never really just never really occurred because we never allowed the economy to get back to an organic function. So now the Fed's talking about hiking rates. This is something we're going to talk about with Michael Leibowitz in a few minutes. You know, if you take a look at tips as an example here, tips yields have actually been coming back down again. The price of tips has been falling fairly dramatically. And that suggests that we may have seen an inflationary peak in a lot of these numbers. And again, particularly as you see the economy starting to slow again, again, there is a a very high correlation between inflation and economic growth. So if economic growth is going to fall and is going to weaken this year, as we expect it will, then that is also going to drag down inflation. So the question that we'll talk about this morning is, is the Fed really too late to the game now to be hiking interest rates and particularly being more aggressive about their policy at a point where inflation may have already peaked? Now, again, we don't know the answer for sure, and we won't know that for a few more months. But it's an interesting premise because if the Fed begins to aggressively hike rates and tight monetary policy and the economy slowing down at the same time, outcomes for financial markets tend not to be very good. So this is something we'll get into a bit more this morning with Michael It's Also, again, next week, we've got the Federal Reserve coming out. They'll be talking about their policy, right? This is where we're going to get really kind of a more concrete view about what they're going to be doing with policy, how fast. Right now, the odds that the Fed will hike 50 basis points by March is now over 100%. So, again, the the markets are getting very convinced here that the Fed's going to be much more aggressive about hiking rates. Now, you know, historically, what they want to do is try to stop their balance sheet expansion before they hike rates. So if they're going to be hiking rates in March, what does that mean for QE? They're currently still doing their, their $100 billion a month or so in QE. So if that's got to stop before they hike rates in March, one of the big things that could kind of hit the markets next week, and we're, we're certainly kind of preparing for this, is the Fed to say we're going to be much more aggressive about that roll off of the balance sheet. In fact, we're going to go to zero by February. Now, I'm not saying that's the case, so don't run out and start making big panic changes. I'm just saying that historically, they tend to want to taper their balance sheet before they do rate hikes. And if that's the case, that could suggest a much faster taper to the balance sheet. That would certainly be outside the purview of what the markets have been thinking the Fed will do. And again, that's one of the risks as we go forward. So we'll get into that this morning and more with Michael Leibowitz. So stick around. All that's coming up on the show right here on the uh, well, realinvestmentadvice.com. Get by there. Get our three minutes of markets and money that was out yesterday. Our daily commentary is already posted. Just click the link, the banner on the front page, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back.
1: Get get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are
0: you leaving thousands in Social Security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your Social Security at our next virtual Lunch and Learn. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors virtual Lunch and Learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com.
1: The Real Investment Show.
2: Good morning and welcome to the show. Hang on a second, I'm having technical difficulties with my mic here. It is, of course, uh, Thursday second best day of the week that means Friday's right around the corner and uh get ready to roll through this it's been a nice short week right holiday shortened week so things kind of move very quickly um so as I was talking about before uh you know there's a lot of things that have been going on in the markets for the last few days lots of selling pressure and and we actually have a chart in our daily commentary this morning which is on the website at realinvestmentadvice.com that shows the market is, you know, uh, on the S&P basis is very oversold. Now, you know, we're down at levels that normally elicit at least a rebound short term. And and just because you're very oversold doesn't mean we're about to have the next great bull market in the S&P. But we are at levels that typically suggest you're going to get some type of reflexive activity here. So, you know, as we've been talking about, there's a lot and, and we're talking about more this morning you know there's a lot of risk as we move into 2022 you know fed policy is probably the biggest one and so you know as we, as we talk about those things you know those are impacts to markets that have not fully occurred just yet in fact if you take a look at a correlation between the pe ratio of the s&p 500 and inflation the pe ratio of the s&p should be historically, much lower than it is now. And what that tells you is, is that the price correction in the market hasn't occurred yet. So if that outlier event of what's happening between valuations and inflation comes back into a line, it suggests a fairly sharp correction for the market sometime this year or early next year. Again, timing is always the big issue. But we certainly have all the catalysts out there. And, and one of those, as I was saying uh, just before the break, is that the Fed is going to be one of the big catalysts for the markets and, and market outlooks. So, again, you want to use this rally as an opportunity that you can use to rebalance risk in your portfolios, reposition. Think about where you want to be. And, again, it's, it's important not to be overly bearish here, right? This isn't, a, this isn't a time to go hide all in gold and cash and the world's going to come to an And I'm not saying that at all. But we are talking about a, a rotation maybe into companies that have more fundamental value. Um, and as I was talking about a second ago, more and more companies. Starbucks has now joined the growing list of companies that are getting rid of VAX mandate rules. Uh, England has gotten rid of them entirely. Um, and that's going to start to spread. These, the, you know, this is, this, this is small now, but this is good news is that, you know, we're going to get past all this, right? We're going to get back to being normal, get back to, you know, living life and and doing what we've got to do. That's good for the economy, right? That's really good for the economy. Got to get back to normal. And this is also going to kind of be part of the function of the markets themselves as we go forward. So, you know, again, not everything is going to recover. And areas that have run up, In in big ways, energy as of late is a good example. We took some profits out of energy stocks on Tuesday because they're very extended here. We've had a big, big, kind of an outsized, abnormal run in in energy stocks lately. People just kind of piling into that value trade all of a sudden. And now we've got this, this kind of bifurcation between energy and the rest of the markets. And those are going to correct. Those won't sustain themselves long term. Small cap, something we'll talk about more this morning. Have been under a tremendous amount of pressure, right? Um, just broke down and out of their consolidation channel suggests that small caps and uh, really even mid caps have a lot more trouble ahead of them, and that's not surprising because they don't have the ability to do massive amounts of stock buybacks and 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 fend off inflation by passing on costs. So lots of things to be concerned about here. But again, the biggest driver, and I've got Michael Leibowitz, uh joining me this morning to talk a little bit about the Fed because. Next week is going to be potentially a very pivotal moment for the markets and for policy because if the Fed is going to be taking more aggressive action, I would suspect that they're going to start it at this next meeting. Um, Right now, Fed fund futures are are suggesting a 50 uh, 50 basis point hike um, by March. So, Michael, welcome to the show this morning. How are you?
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sure. Thought you were just going to keep going and forget about me here.
2: Nah, never, <laughs> never. Uh, just uh, setting the premise, the baseline here. We got a lot of stuff to get into between you know the Fed policy and how to manage portfolios between now and the rest of this year. So, but again, this is kind of you know if history and as I was saying, kind of in the opening monologue, is that if history you know, kind of holds up here. The Fed tends to want to taper off their quantitative easing. In other words, reduce QE and and get into a balance sheet runoff situation before they hike rates. And Fed fund futures right now are pointing to a a 100% chance that the uh, Fed will hike by 50 basis points in March. So that would suggest a much faster taper policy than maybe what the markets are expecting. What do you think?
3: Yeah, and Lance, you forgot there's a little bit of news that happened last night that I think has a much bigger effect, and this has been going on. Last night, the Senate voted down the filibuster, which essentially squashed the Democrats' voting rights bill. Right. And if you've been paying attention to Biden and his press secretary and other members of Congress, the word inflation is coming up more and more mm-hmm. in they, in what they're saying and how they intend to deal with inflation. So I think starting today, because they lost the voting rights bill, which was, that would have helped them out, I think, and, you know, at least keep their own Democratic voters in the coming elections Mm -hmm. in November. Inflation just becomes more and more of an important topic. Mm -hmm. And how do they squash it? Because real wages or the amount you make after inflation are falling for, you know, in aggregate for the economy. Uh, You know, Goldman Sachs yesterday, just said that their expenses rose 33 percent, of which more than 33 percent was due to wages increasing. So this is really starting to affect companies. Companies cannot pass this on. You know, I think we're going to start. That's going to be a familiar theme within the earnings reports. And I think most importantly, tomorrow, you know, maybe this morning, Chairman Powell is going to get a call from Biden saying, you got to do something about inflation (laughs) today. Right. So, but, but, but let's think about this for mm-hmm. one second. The Federal Reserve right now is stimulating the economy to a degree that they have never stimulated before. Correct. Even with, with what they have done in reducing QE, mm-hmm. the annualized rate of QE is today – is slightly more than they were doing at the peak of the 2008 financial crisis. Yeah. Think about that. Yeah, that's 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 stimulating the economy. Interest rates are still zero. Lance is talking about all these future interest rates rising, but the Fed has their foot pinned on the gas pedal. (laughs) So what's going to happen when when Joe Biden calls Powell and says, hey, what are you going to do? Well, Well, the the... first thing he's got to do is take his foot off the gas pedal. Yeah, but,
2: but here's the real challenge. And I was talking about this with Charles Payne yesterday on, on Fox Business. The Fed's in a terrible spot. So, I mean, what yeah. do you choose here? Do you choose to combat inflation, which crushes, you know, the, the stock market and, and really undermines the donors for the, the midterm elections that are coming up in November? I mean, those are right around the corner. Or, you know, do, do you support the stock market and kill the bottom 80% of your voting base? By not by think, not dealing with inflation. I mean, it's a no win situation.
3: It's a no win situation. That was my article that I published yesterday. The feds mm-hmm. walk in this tightrope where they're trying to contain financial stability or keep financial stability and tame inflation. And maybe they'll get lucky, right? Inflation could easily start falling come March, April, May, just due to the math behind it. Mm-hmm. And some of the normalization of the economy, Omicron's going to, you know, fade away. As we get into the spring months, so there are some factors that could just push inflation down on its own, but and tips may but, be telling
2: and and look, tips may be telling you that already. I mean, uh, the you know, if you take a look at a chart on tips, it's been falling rather sharply here over the last couple of uh, months, and that suggests that that maybe inflation has already peaked, and this is a, this is a huge problem for the Fed now. They're going to be aggressive about hiking rates and tightening monetary policy at the same time that inflation has already peaked. Now you're late to the party. Now you create bigger problems.
3: Right. So just real quick, if you go back and look at March and April of last year, those in annual those inflation monthly inflation rates were like 0. 0.6, 0. 0.8, 0.9 percent, mm-hmm. which if you annualize those, some of them are double digit, you know, 10 percent growth rates. Right. So if you get anything less than that come this March, April, May, the year over year inflation rate will start declining. So I think that's benefiting. You know the Fed, but but the pressure, and this is why I mentioned what happened last night in the Senate. The pressure is increasing rapidly on the Fed to do something, and they may, like you said, they could stop QE at next Wednesday's meeting. They could increase rates by 50. You know, at next, I doubt that they're going to raise rates at next Wednesday's meeting. Mm -hmm. But my guess is they're going to set the table up for a rate increase at the March meeting whether it's 25 or 50 we don't know what they're going to do right. but they're they're probably going to set the table up for four or five rate hikes this year yep. enough fed governors have been saying that that that's where they're leaning
2: right and and again you know but the the problem comes back to again this is you know a reduction of monetary policy right so they're they're taking out that liquidity support for the markets now you're hiking rates look mortgage rates are already up a full basis point now right. you're going to increase the overnight lending rate by, a, you know, say, even a point this year. That's going to drive long-term mortgage rates up probably another half point to a point before something actually breaks. Because, again, we have to remember the, the economy is so heavily leveraged. I mean, we're running a, you know, a massive deficit. You've got record margin debt. You've got record corporate debt, record consumer debt. Um, you know, changes in rates are going to have an, immediate, an almost immediate impact on consumption. If you just take a look at recent spending. Um, real wages aren't keeping up with inflation. We've seen a big surge in credit card debt just over the last month of people just trying to make ends meet. So if if interest rates go up at all, you're going to have a contraction in economic growth, which, by the way, will fix your inflation problem. But it gives you a much bigger problem for the right. markets and particularly for the midterm elections. If the economy is slowing sharply heading into midterms, your incumbent individuals will be out of a job in november so we'll be right back after the break we'll pick up with michael Leibwitz. um flipping this over to take a look at the markets what do what does if the fed does hike rates what if they do um you know reduce their balance sheet what areas of the markets may be safe uh to put money into we'll talk about that next with michael Leibwitz. don't go away
0: Are you leaving thousands in Social Security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your Social Security at our next Virtual Lunch and Learn. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors Virtual Lunch and Learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com.
1: You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
2: And welcome back to the show this morning. Of course, uh, Michael Leibowitz joining me. uh, Talking a little bit about the Fed now becoming much more aggressive uh, in theory about hiking rates. Again, pressure from the White House now to do something about inflation. And that pressure um, is going to potentially push the Fed to uh, act more aggressively here. And we can kind of go back to 2018 and kind of replay the tape a bit when the Fed was hiking rates. And in October, September of 2018, Jerome Powell says, well, we're nowhere near the neutral rate. We're going to have to keep hiking rates more. And the market declines by 20% because obviously – Um, much more aggressive interest rate policy that's going to reduce lending activity in markets, you know, those type of things. So markets start to reevaluate price, right, and valuation. And right now we have, you know, trailing valuations on the S&P are trading right around 39 times earnings. So uh, we've got more companies than ever in history trading at 20 and 30 times price to sales, which is just astronomically overvalued. So If the Fed becomes more aggressive on rate hikes, you're going to have a repricing of risk in the markets. And again, replaying the tape back to 2018, the Fed starts says, hey, we're nowhere near the neutral rate. Two months later and 20 percent lower, the Fed says, oh, guess what? (laughs) We're actually right there at the neutral rate. But what were we thinking? Uh, And they stopped hiking rates and the market started to recover at that point. But it didn't take much. And the difference was, is the Fed didn't have 7 percent inflation to deal with. The question this time, as I was asking Mike earlier, is the Fed's in a much different situation. They have inflation. The question is now, is it transient inflation still, or is it now more persistent? People are believing it to be more persistent now. And as I discussed yesterday, there's a big difference between inflation and disinflation. As Mike properly noted in the last segment, is that over the next couple of months we're going to start to see inflation peak and come down just because of the year-over-year rate of change. That doesn't mean the gas that doesn't mean what you're paying for a gallon of gasoline at the pump changed. If you pay four dollars today and for gasoline and four dollars a year from now, for a year from now for gasoline, the inflation rate is zero because it didn't go up in price. But you're still paying four dollars a gallon of gasoline, and if your wages aren't keeping up with the rate of inflation, that's a problem.
3: I, I would add to that, Lance. The price can actually keep going up, and the rate of inflation can go down. That, that that is also true.
2: But so here's the so here's the question, Mike. With all this kind of weighing on the markets, again, you've got an overvaluation. You've got now liquidity being withdrawn from the markets. Not just the Fed's liquidity, uh, which has been the whole you know kind of bullish premise. Is hey, if the Fed's doing QE, buy stocks, right? But you also have all the fiscal liquidity—the five trillion dollars worth of fiscal liquidity that was put in—and to your point um, about the ele- uh, about the vote last night, outside of the vote on the voting rights bill, which was you know one thing, the bigger vote was the inability to repeal the filibuster. If they could have repealed the filibuster, they could have passed the Build Back Better plan with a fifty-one vote margin rather than having sixty. So with the, with the filibuster not being overturned, now they have no ability to pass really any of their spending plans between now and, and the midterms. And this is gonna mean all that liquidity that has now evaporated from the markets isn't coming back. There is no help coming um, in terms of liquidity. This is gonna be a much bigger problem for stocks potentially over the next few months. So now we need to start thinking about, you know, where do we invest? Where's gonna be the place to put money? over the next few months as we head towards midterm elections.
3: Right. And I think the market is going through a what I would call a pricing in process. So what do we have to look forward to? You know, we talked about the Fed. Will they raise rates four or five times? Will they do QT? What will they do? You you talked about what the government's not going to do, right? Mm -hmm. They're not going to do a lot of what they did last year. They're going to run a deficit that's going to look more, much more aligned with what we're running pre-pandemic. What are companies going to do? What are consumers going to do? So the market is starting to price in, starting to, and, you know, whether it's 90% of the way there or 10% of the way there, that's the hard part, but it's pricing in this new environment, a new environment that is not nearly as friendly to stocks, but what kind of stocks, right? Mm -hmm. Is it, it's not as friendly to growth stocks, but it's still pretty friendly to some value stocks that are cheap. So when you start thinking about what's going on, go back to the price that you're paying. Am I in the environment where I can buy something at a price to sales of 15 or 20 or a price to earnings of 70 or 80 or 100 or multiple hundreds? Or should I be playing it safe Mm -hmm. with a not necessarily a conservative company, a conservative stock? And those are two different things. You mentioned on uh, Charles Payne's Fox Business Show Mm -hmm. yesterday, Lance, he asked you, I think it was Procter & Gamble. Right, he said something like, "So is Procter and Gamble value," and you said something to the effect of, "It's no. a conservative <laughs> stock, but it's far from value."
2: <laughs> is it? Is it a value stock? No, it's not.
3: <laughs> right, right, right. Actually, it was a more definitive no. Yeah, right? I mean, you it know, Procter and Gamble's
2: PE a of- Procter and Gamble's a great company, but it's trading at twenty-five times forward earnings. Right. You know. Right. And I mean, and, and this is this is the and this is the problem. You know, I was talking about, you know, um, price to sales, and. You know, this is a very important concept for people to understand. Um, back in 2000, when Sun Micro was trading at 10 times price to sales, Scott McNeely, and we've, we've had this quote several times. Uh, Mike has used it. I've used it in blogs we've written. But, but Scott McNeely said, in order to sustain price to sales, I have to pay out 100% of everything I make. Right? I don't pay employees. I don't pay the IRS. I don't pay dividends. I don't pay anything. Right, I, I'm paying out 100% of everything I make in terms of revenue, uh, which is both illegal and illogical. Why would you pay 10 times price-to-sales for a company? Um, in order to sustain 2 times price-to-sales, a company has to basically grow sales at 20% every year just to maintain their current price at 2 times price-to-sales. Gamble Gamble's trading five times price to sales. So they're going to have to grow their their revenue almost 100% a year every year just to maintain the current price. You can't call that a value.
3: Right. And, and but there is value. The problem is the market thinks of value as consumer staples, as healthcare, as financials, as energy. And it gets these things in its head. That says, "Oh, it's Procter Gamble. Mm-hmm. It's a consumer staple. It must be value." Right. I mean, it's like the, it's the, like the,
2: Coke's trading at seven times price to sales. McDonald's trading at multiples of sales. You know these, the, and I think, and, and Mike, I think there's a bigger issue here. It's not just the market thinking about these things in terms of of you know uh, staples being a value. It's ETF buying. People oh, are buying right. value ETFs. Would just have all these these traditional value stocks lumped into them. They're not really a value. But as we talked about recently in in our report on on et on, on passive indexing and the effect of that, when everybody's jumping in to buy a value ETF, it's pushing up the prices of all these underlying holdings of these ETFs.
3: Right. So if value is truly coming back in a style, and I'm talking about over the next few years, mm-hmm. not just for the next three weeks. What we're going to see, I believe, is first a shift to passive value. So that means ETFs that tend to hold more quote unquote value stocks that hold the PGs, the McDonald's, the Cokes of the world, the Mm -hmm. Pepsis, regardless of what their PEs are. So they're not really looking at value. They're looking at what was or has been traditional value over time, though, I think as that doesn't pan out, you get a shift to more to real value. Companies that actually have a price to sales under one that have a PE below 12 that are actually true value. And there are some of those. And we're actually going to report on some of those on Friday's uh, SimpleVisor scan that we run every Friday. There, there are companies like that. You mentioned two on the Charles Payne show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so but at first, I don't think that investors have to worry about how do I find the next value stock? I think they have to understand that the market, whether it's people's 401Ks or big institutions or even hedge, fund, hedge funds, are so focused on this passive investing craze that they're just gonna go, we're, we're gonna sell the S&P and we're gonna buy the Vanguard Value Fund, or you know we're gonna shift a little bit more to value, a little bit away from growth. So the trade will be, well, what are the top 10 stocks in the Value Fund? Doesn't matter if they're value or not, and I guarantee you, 70 percent of them are not really value (laughs) without even looking at what's in a vanguard value fund but but over time i think you'll get a better shift to more real value and it again if this whole value rotation is real right we could in three or four months find the fed saying whoa 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 what are we doing the market's down 20 percent. we got to start doing qe and then all of a sudden, the Democrats and Republicans start singing Kumbaya and say, oh, we're going to we got to get fiscal going. This isn't good. The economy got down a one percent growth. What are we going to do? Out, we've outlawed recessions already. Right. We have to just put the t- turbo thrusters on, at which point we just shift right back to growth. Right.
2: Um, just as uh, you know, since you brought it up, the top ten holdings of the Vanguard Value ETF are Berkshire Hathaway, United Health Group, J.P. Morgan Chase, Johnson Johnson, Procter and Gamble, Pfizer, Bank of America, Broadcom, ExxonMobil, and Abbott Laboratories. And by the way, the Berkshire Hathaway and Johnson and Johnson and United Health Group and uh, J.P. Morgan; those are in the top twenty holdings of the S and P as well so you know again there's you know none of those stocks on that list are are actually truly value it's just again to your point they're just lumped into the value kind of bucket that traditionally tends to be value It doesn't mean these companies really are value stocks and again kind of understanding the difference and when we come back from the break um you know you're working on this report for friday on value stocks but let's talk about a little bit about if somebody wants to actually screen for true value, how do you identify value from a value trap? We'll be back after the break. Talk with Michael Leewitz. Don't go away.
1: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are you leaving
0: thousands in social security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your social security at our next virtual lunch and learn. What boomers need to know about social security? Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors virtual lunch and learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know about social security? Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. The real Investment
1: Show.
2: And welcome back to the show this morning. Michael Leibowitz joining me. So again, kind of the big, you know, conundrum here is how to invest for this year coming up when there's so many headwinds coming in from less liquidity the Fed tightening um, hiking rates reducing their balance sheet slower economic growth inflation so many things right I mean it's easy to get you know super bearish and go you know I'm just going to be in cash just you know I'm just gonna get out and be in cash and you know what that could work out well um, this year could might not um, again things change and you know this is and this is the the big problem with making predictions. Is that things can change. Right now, the Fed is teed up for next week to potentially talk about a much more aggressive rate hiking campaign, reducing their balance sheet. They could come out and say, you know what, we're kind of monitoring everything. We're just going to, we're not going to do anything right now. We're just going to, you know, we're thinking about hiking rates. I mean, they could start to backpedal. I'm not saying they will. I'm just saying things change. And when things change, that's going to change the environment for the markets. And so, you know, this is why we have to be nimble and pay attention to what's going on, particularly in a year like we're going to be in this year where things will be reversing from earnings to economic growth to inflation, a whole, whole variety of things. So, you know, and, and this is what we're talking about a second ago, and we think that value will be, you know, kind of one of the places to be because it tends to hold up better during market declines. Now, it doesn't mean it makes money. It just means it doesn't go down as much as the market. So, but there's a difference between... As we were saying before the break, you know, a lot of companies that are called value stocks are not really value stocks. Procter & Gamble, McDonald's, Coca-Cola. These companies aren't value. These are not value stocks anymore. They are very overvalued, but they happen to be in a category that is called value. Right. And those are two different things. So the question is, is how can you, you know, how can you find what are some of the parameters if you're going to be wanting to look at value stocks? How do you find a value stock that is not a value trap? Now, what is that? A value trap is a company that looks cheap, but it's cheap for a reason. Um, I could make the case that Peloton is now a value stock <laughs> after collapsing from 160 to $20 a share. Um, it's not. That's a value trap. It may be cheap in price, but it doesn't mean it's a it's an underpriced company. And those are two very different things. Mike, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, it, it, a lot of it has to do with future growth. What are you paying? You know, when you're buying stocks, you're you're buying a stream of income. Mm-hmm. So what you want to know is, A, the valuation. How much am I buying? And B, what am I buying? Because, yes, it may have, you know, a company you're looking at may have very low P.E. price to sales. But what if it's a company like uh, Philip Morris or Altria Mm -hmm. that's actually shrinking? People are smoking less, right? So you have to factor in, well, what if growth declines by 2% a year? What if growth only increases by 2% a year? Am I really, I know the price is low, but what am I getting for that money? And that's, that's what you really have to think about. It's not just the price. But it's the growth and the prospects for the industry and and as we kind of get into a slower economic growth uh more typical right where we've been for the last 10 years we can't keep assuming the economy is going to grow at five percent and we have to start thinking about well if the economy goes goes back to growing at two to three percent what does that mean for this sector or that sector what kind of growth rates will people buy less cars will they buy more of something else and it's a dynamic process where you're looking at the status today but also going forward and you can't get caught in value traps and there's a lot of them out there there's like you said lance there's a reason some companies are very cheap and it's because they're not delivering that's right
2: so and again this is going to be the important thing to actually pay attention to so again you know look there's there's tons of places where you can get a screener. So you can screen for stocks, uh, simplevisor.com, which is our platform. Um, you can screen for stocks. You can set up screens that screen for value. But I mean, basically you go anywhere. There's just Google screener <laughs> on, you know, and in, in Google, and you're going to get uh, about a million places will provide stock screens. And so you can start plugging in, you know, different variables, you know, price to sales below two um, price to earnings below 15, right? Um, Uh, You know, those are the things that are traditionally considered, you know, measures for a more value-based company. But the problem is is you're going to come up with, A, a lot of companies you've never heard of. And, B, you know, you need to also combine that. Again, just because something comes up on a screen, and I mentioned a couple yesterday on uh, Fox Business, uh, Nucor, uh, as an example, Nucor Steel. Well, it's been doing well recently because of the whole supply chain shortage, you know, kind of shutdown, down, re- reopening of the economy. Um, yes, it still fits a lot of the fundamental underpinnings, has good strong earnings per share growth, has a, has a low valuation. Forward valuations are, are low. But it's had a big run. So, again, you can't disregard where – You know, we are price-wise as well. So this is, you know, we spend a lot of time on the show talking about the technical setup for the markets or for a stock. You know, it's oversold, it's overbought. And what those technical overlays tell you is, you know, is it a good opportunity to enter that position now? Because, again, stocks only move up so far before they're going to have a correction, which would give you a better entry price later. So don't discount the value of some basic technical analysis as well when over and overlay that with your fundamental underpinning. So you can find a good value stock. Just make sure you're also entering it at the right time as well.
3: And, and Lance, I would add to that. Also, we're in an environment where interest rates are rising. Mm-hmm. We're in an environment where a lot of companies have a lot of debt and have to roll over that debt. So be careful of value of quote unquote value companies that have a lot of debt on their books because they may be rolling over that debt. What used to be 2% at 4% or 5%, and that will squash those future earnings. And what we thought was value may have been actually the right price or, or even too expensive. Right. So think about the environment, think about the technicals, think about, you know, not just the next year, but the next five years. And again, think about the price and does that price, you know, contain the range of outcomes you expect.
2: Yeah, and that's and this and this is and this is going to be a challenge though. Uh, this will be a challenge for, you know, many investors going forward is is trying to differentiate between you know investing and speculating. And again, we've been taught to speculate now for the last you know really five years in particular. Um, but more so since the financial crisis, uh, since, sorry, since the uh, COVID shutdown in March of 2020, we really brought speculation into the markets because of all this liquidity. We gave, you know, $14 checks to kids with, you know, uh, Robinhood apps to go buy stocks. And, you know, that really distorted a lot of the things happening in the markets. And again, and if you take a look at companies like Procter & Gamble, um, you know, like Johnson Johnson, these are good companies, but they're trading at price to sales that should never happen. But... It is because of what we've done to the markets over the last couple of years. And there this is going to be a much more challenging environment going forward to make money in, um, you know, for a while, potentially.
3: Right. Right. And earlier, you know, just a couple of seconds ago, I was talking about think about the range of outcomes. I think what makes this so hard is that range of outcomes is enormous over the next six months to year whereas we were a little bit more so on a glide path last year. We knew the Fed was going to keep doing what they were doing. The f- the fiscal situation was a lot more predictable. There was no election to deal with to be concerned about. And, you know, we watched valuations rise. We watched speculative fever rise. We, we saw speculation go in and out of SPACs and IPOs, mm-hmm. high-tech companies, disruptive technology, We've seen it since come out of many of those sectors. Um, but as we look forward, what's what's the hardest thing is that the range of economic and fundamental outcomes is so much wider than it was. Uh, it's almost like we're back to March of 2020 where we have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> uh, go, yeah, not that we don't have any idea. I mean, the, the pandemic was a that was a truly unique situation, but but we're entering a period that is very unlike the last year and a half. And I think we, we've we gotten very used to this speculative, speculative mm-hmm. uh, behavior. Now we got to become investors again and we got to think about value. We got to think about what are we buying? Does it make sense? Would you buy would you buy another type of investment? Would you buy your local bar? Would you buy your local mm-hmm. dry cleaner at that kind of value, knowing that you're going to get revenue of X and Y over the next 10 years. And I think hopefully the mindset resorts back to a market where people are actually looking at financial statements and thinking about the economy versus what's been the hottest stock for the last 10 days. I got to buy it. What's Kathy Wood buying? What's Jim Cramer talking about?
2: Well, you know, but let me throw a little bit of a let me play kind of the spoil here, but you know, again, let's go back to the whole problem of passive indexing and in ETFs. Is that you know we've seen such a shift there in terms of money flows going into these uh, you know into ETFs, which you know own a basket of stocks. Again, we talked about Apple and Microsoft and those stocks recently. You know, Apple's in 356 uh, different ETFs uh, on the large cap side. Um, so every time those ETFs get bought. You know, Apple and keeps
3: getting pushed up in price. Not all those are large cap either. Well,
2: exactly, sure. um, but my I guess, my but the point I'm making here is, is, is it possible that you know we don't get a return to true value? We get a, a, we only get a return to approximate value because of people chasing ETFs. You got about ten seconds, Mike.
3: You're right. Everyone's become a passive investor, and that's unfortunately the environment we're in, and that may not change. So we may when we shift to value maybe procter gamble and j and j not true value yeah
2: we'll see uh we'll keep you up to date though that's what we're gonna do here on the show and on our website um we've got a lot of stuff going on there now really more so than ever uh weekly market updates with wealthy on on the website now as well as our daily market commentary our newsletter daily blog posts mike's articles it's just a tremendous amount of information to help you manage your money better of course Really easy while you're there. Send us a question, comment, or email. Let us know what we can do to help you. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Also, check out SimpleVisor, our fully automated research platform. It's now up and running. SimpleVisor.com. It's all there for you as well. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Be back here tomorrow for Financial Fitness Friday. Have a great day.
1: If I a money, it's a rich man's world.
3: It's a rich man's world.